Who else from you here this morning? Should we open with 190? <laughs> Shall we open our service in a word, word of prayer? 
Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for another of so many beautiful Sunday mornings we've had. Beautiful fall, beautiful fall colors. In this natural world, is getting ready for winter, and we get ready for winter. And the seasons go on. We thank Thee for this Thanksgiving weekend. This tradition that's being taken on by many countries. This tradition where people set aside time to spend with families and and a big turkey dinner or whatever it may be. And that we could remember to give thanks for the bounty of the land, the beauty of the land. And that this land was settled so many, many years ago by enough God-fearing people that thy hand is, has been over us and all those nations that fear God. As Brother Dick used to say, those nations that pray the Lord's Prayer, God's hand is over them and we, we thank thee for that. Watch over this little gathering this morning. Watch over all that gather in thy name. And we rest on that promise that thy son Jesus will be with us. Where two or three are gathered together. Watch over those that are on beds of sickness or pain. Watch those that may be traveling. Those that may be struggling with Issues in life, troubles and trials, and responsibilities, so many things that come in our pathway as we go through life. Hear us now as we pray together that prayer thy son Jesus taught us. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
this morning with greetings of grace and mercy and peace from God our Heavenly Father through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. For text this morning I will turn to the Gospel of Luke to the 20th chapter and I will read starting at the 17th verse and I'll read 17 and 18. Greeting in Jesus' name. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Amen. I guess this, I feel like I so often, often do to ask for your prayers that Spirit would open this word. It seems so often come when you feel quite empty of something to speak. This is Recorded in Matthew also, very similarly, it um, adds just a little bit, it quotes um, a little bit further into the, into the psalm, Jesus when he says this about the stone, he's quoting from 118th Psalm, I believe. And in Matthew, it adds a little bit to it. This is in Psalms 118. It says, The stone which the builders refused has become the headstone of the corner. 
This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. <coughs> Just before this portion that he speaks, Jesus speaks a parable to the and it's to the scribes and the Pharisees. And he speaks about a man planting a vineyard and then sending laborers and they kill some and they beat some and then he says, well, I will send my son and they'll reverence him. And they decide that well, if we kill him, well, then we will, the vineyard will be ours. <coughs> and it is interesting, it does not record it here, but it records it in Matthew it says that they understood that he spoke this parable to them. <clears throat> we understand and, and if we read the scripture and if we go back we know that God gave Moses the Mosaic law and it was set up and it was instructed for those Jewish people to follow it. And we can read in the Old Testament when they followed what God had laid out for them, things went well for them. When they turned away from God and worshipped idols, worshipped I don't know, other gods, things went poorly, went bad for them. And they would turn back to God and he would return to them. It, I think, is something that is good if we can remember that because I'm sure all of us are as human as those Israelites in the Old Testament. We have our days where God feels near and there's days where he doesn't feel very near. There's days where it seems that our faith is strong and some days we question whether we have any faith at all. And we <clears throat> have the privilege of this word. And not only God saying it and encouraging people to turn to him, that we would seek him, but also examples in the Bible that when people did, God responded. And he listened to their prayers. He brought salvation in, even in the natural occurrences that were going on. Salvation from natural oppression from um, other peoples that had overran them. We don't, most of us have those kind of situations in our life, but we do have trials. And it is a question that I have often asked. We read in the Old Testament where they turned away from God and God allowed things to go badly for them. They were given severe trials. And then we read places where they were being obedient to God and God allows trials in those situations too where... <clears throat> <coughs> to, if you say, try their faith, or as it speaks there, 
to temper them or to purge as it speaks when it, there's the story of the vineyard. And Jesus tells them that if you bring forth grapes, that God will purge you, that you would bring forth more fruit. And I've talked about it with people sometimes, and I don't know how many of us have seen in actual life, but maybe some of us have seen pictures of the vineyards when they've pruned them, and they look pretty sparse. It's just a dry looking stick there and everything is cut off. And I have seen and I've had explained to me that if you don't do that, yes, those vines, they grow lush and there's all kinds of leaves and it is looks very wonderful, but there's very little fruit on it. And so I think God allows these things also that we could grow fruit and not just look good. That there wouldn't be just leaves there. And sometimes I struggle with the question of this is happening and whether it's, usually it's a question comes mostly when I'm dealing with something, but you, I see it in other people's lives too. And you wonder, is it because God is trying to <clears throat> tell you there's you need to change something or is it a situation like Job. We can read, and the Bible says, he was a righteous man. And yet God allowed this, and the reasons are maybe many-fold. Yes, I'm sure it had things in Job's life. It had effects in the life of Job's friends, in his family, obviously. It is there as an example down through the ages for everyone down to us who read that story of Job. <clears throat> who does it benefit? It benefits many people. And I think there is times where I've had to look at things and say, well, maybe my biggest problem is that I'm looking at at me, and maybe sometimes the trials we're facing are that other people could see. We don't understand these things. We have to leave them with God. But I think that the thing that we need to look at, whether it was those ones in the Old Testament that had turned away from God and then turned back to Him, and He blessed that, or whether it's like Job that He just continued to believe in God no matter what came and happened in his life he trusted that God knew best and to put his faith in God was best and there I guess we see the one thing that is in every situation is no matter what is happening in our lives whether it is good, whether it is bad that we would look to God. That we would put our faith in what Christ has done for me. <clears throat> These people here in the parable before the text I read, we could say they were God-fearing people. And 
I said that we should turn to God, and it is true. But, if we look at what God tells us in the Bible, it very quickly directs us to Christ. And it is one of the mysteries that is beyond me, how there is that triune God. We have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes we use those terms interchangeably in some ways because they are one. And yet they have their specific roles. And we understand that God through his spirit, even this morning, we trust that it is here and it is with us. And it is working in each of our hearts. That this word could come. And that it could lodge there and we could hear it and it could bring refreshing, it could bring correction. Whatever it is that God knows is needed in that heart. It is something that I guess I would say I have to lean very heavily on. We can't look into everyone's heart. I come here and I have to admit I've joked with people about because there's people who, and I remember a story Patty's dad told in, when he was in North Dakota. There was a story about a minister there, and it told about him, but it said that his hardest job was preparing. He spent all week preparing his sermon for Sunday. And I can see that it would be a big job, because I don't know what my own heart needs, let alone what everyone else's does. And so to sit down and try to prepare, oh, so-and-so probably will be there, so they probably need to hear this. I don't know that. And truly, what a privilege to be able to trust that God does. He knows what each heart needs. And we can lean on that. And the foundation of what each heart needs is to have faith and trust in what Christ came and accomplished for us. This here that I read, and it was pointing to those Pharisees because they had developed not only the Mosaic Law, but they had added all kinds of other, their own rules to make it a little better, to make sure that they covered all the bases so that they were very holy and righteous. <coughs> and we can look at it and we see, and it is true, it leads to self-righteousness and they look down on others. Jesus comes and he says that the righteousness that we need to get to heaven is above that, that they had come up with even. I have a portion in Exodus that to me says a lot and it speaks about building an altar and we understand that it if we look at it spiritually it's speaking about each of us individually and how it is that God would bring faith and salvation and make us one of his children but it says if thou wilt make me an altar of stone thou shalt not build it of hewn stone 
For if thou lift up thy tool upon it, thou hast polluted it. And I guess I can take that and very simply say, to me that is just in a little more detail and in a metaphorical way explaining where Jesus says that we're to come as we are. We don't decide that, well, I need to straighten up this and I need to straighten up this and quit doing that and then I will come to Christ. And then I will perhaps come and God will accept me. It's basically what in various forms what the Pharisees were saying that you need to do all these things and that will lead to you being good enough that God will accept you. The problem that we have is that Jesus says that the best that they could do wasn't good enough. <clears throat> and we can read in in um, various places James says that if we are guilty of one thing in the law, we're guilty of the whole, of offending in the whole law. And Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, takes and explains some of those simple laws about even murder. And you can think, well, that's a pretty easy one for most of us. We haven't went and murdered somebody. And yet he explains that if we're angry with someone without cause... We're guilty of murder. And he explains a couple of other ones. And if we compare those things to how we are, we find very quickly that we fall short. And I think it is only through that light of the Spirit that I spoke of earlier that would reveal to a heart and enlighten what is actually in our heart that we can see. We the best we can do is failing at what God requires and it seems like a harsh thing to say except that we have a loving God and he sent Christ here to fulfill what we cannot do and he paid for what we fail at and we read about that at Easter time, at Christmas time, how Jesus came, how he died on the cross. But he also spent that period of time, and it is recorded for us what we are to trust in, how it works, how we are to believe, how we are to turn to him. When it says here, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. We understand that is talking about Christ and what he became. Here, Jesus, directly when he was speaking this parable, was talking, <coughs> excuse me, talking to those Pharisees directly. Because they were trying to build something that was good enough to get to heaven. He understood that. That was what their motivation was. <clears throat> I don't think human nature has changed any. Well, it hasn't changed any from Adam and Eve to today. It is the same 
thing that we're dealing with. Adam and Eve were made, given perfection in the Garden of Eden, and there's no time frame given, but it doesn't appear too long, and they fell into sin. We're the same sinful beings. And it doesn't matter who someone is, there is something in deep down in their heart, as much as people want to try to cover it up, there is an understanding that there's a problem between us and God. And people try to cover up that by denying that there's any God. It doesn't change that there is. And then people try and do things and try to come up with things that Try to put it on a balance beam that, well, I do enough good that it outweighs the bad that I do. Except that in God's eyes, we need perfection. And if we are trying to add and build anything on top of or outside of or in spite of what Christ has done, then we're the same as these Pharisees and we're rejecting the chief cornerstone of everything that is necessary. Because if what Christ has done isn't the foundation for what we believe, there's a problem. When I looked at this, there was a reference into Isaiah into the 28th chapter and it says something similar and it adds a little bit to it it says therefore thus saith the Lord God behold I lay in Zion a foundation a stone a tried stone a precious cornerstone a sure foundation he that believeth shall not make haste judgment also will I lay to the lion and righteousness to the plummet So there it is speaking about that same stone that is spoken of in our text that we are to fall on. And I mentioned how it is that that we oftentimes people want to look at it like level, fair, or that we would have a balance beam. Here it says that judgment shall I lay to the line and righteousness to the plummet. And there we see the difference between man's reasoning and God's reasoning. A plummet is, another word for it is a plumb line, and we understand how that works. It is hooked at the top and there is a weight at the bottom and it shows what is directly up and down. And you can find a point directly below something by holding it over there and it points directly at that spot and it divides between this side and this side and there's no balancing about it everything is either on one side or the other side and it deals directly with up and we come to understand that that is how God judges things. On which side of the line are you? And this plummet it speaks of is in conjunction with speaking of 
that cornerstone, which is Christ. Christ is the dividing line between things, between right and wrong, between good and evil, between righteousness and unrighteousness. It isn't that it's on a balance. It's Christ. What does Christ say? And he says here, the stone which builders rejected has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be broken. And we can think of that and read that and think, well, that's not something that we want to happen. But that is our human nature. And it is true. Our human nature does not want to be broken. Our human nature wants to feel like it is is something and that it has the ability to do something. And yeah, I'll admit, well, I do make mistakes, but I'm pretty good over here. When it says that we should need to fall upon that stone and be broken, it means it's put in many ways in the Bible, if I say, because it is important. We could look at it as repentance. We can speak of it as coming to Christ. I've mentioned it this way, that we need to stand completely naked before him. Not try to cover up and say, well, yes, I will let you see this, but there's this part here that's, no, I will, I'll deal with that because it's too bad for you to deal with. Or I'm too ashamed of it to let you see it. <clears throat> that is so human reasoning. And when we look at the Bible and understand Like, God tells us that the very hairs of our head are numbered. It tells us that we are of so much more value than a sparrow, and yet, if one sparrow falls, God knows about it. In the Old Testament, there's a place where it very much gets after these people because they they had the idea that they could do things and God wouldn't notice it. God wasn't seeing it. It isn't that God doesn't know everything about us. The Bible would give us to understand that he understands us better than we understand ourselves. He made us. And I guess now I'm going on a bit of a rabbit trail, but knowing that, sometimes I wonder if you know you made me like this, how are Am I supposed to deal with that? It was in, I don't know if I can turn to it. It was on my calendar and it was a couple verses down from the calendar. I believe it was yesterday. And basically it says that God... Here it is. It's in the 20th chapter of Proverbs. It says, man's goings are of the Lord. How can a man then understand his own way? 
And oftentimes, I can feel that way. I don't... Things in life, there's too much. I don't understand (coughs) how we're supposed to have the ability to deal with all that's there. But God knows. And that is why we are encouraged to come to that stone. To give it all there. To trust completely in what Christ has done. That we would it says fall upon him because we don't have the strength to do it on our own. And yes, we come as a broken being because we don't add up. We are not good enough. It's a wonderful thing when we look into the scripture. And Jesus says, he came to save sinners. Is there any of us that can claim we don't qualify on that count? I don't think so. He came to save us. Yes, we read, and even as I mentioned, those ones in the Old Testament that fell into sin and there's consequences for it. And so often I turn and look at King Saul and King David, and they both fell into sin. Sin is a problem. And it is the big problem that came between God and man. It was the problem that we were unable to overcome. It's why God sent Christ to overcome it. And it isn't that we can say, well, Christ overcome it, so we just can live however it really doesn't matter it doesn't work that way and I think we all understand that and yet we do fail we do have doubts we do fall into sin so what do we do with that that's what Christ came for that is what Christ gave us the privilege when it speaks in Revelations there that we become priests and kings. And we are the, both at the same time. It's hard to understand because we are the children of God. And so we are Christ, so we are kings in that regard. And yet Christ also came as the high priest. And because he fulfilled that sacrifice and that sacrifice is paid, and we understand that when there is a heart that is struggling to believe that there is actually forgiveness for what I have done we have that privilege if I say of being able to put on those priestly robes and assuring them with the foundation of that rock which is Christ that those things they can believe them all forgiven why not because I say it But because I am able to say it with the authority of God. Because as ambassadors for God, we are given his authority here. And the most important thing is that we can assure people that sin is paid for. Believe it. And that's where the problem comes. It's if 
we don't turn to Christ with our weakness and our failings. If we try to do something about it on our own. If we don't believe that Christ has done enough and we want to add a little bit or do a little bit to make it good enough or better. And I had someone say, well, you just say, well, it's all about all up to Christ, and it's just a faith in Christ. And that is true, but it doesn't mean that we just sit and don't do anything. As Christians, we walk in obedience to the leading of that Spirit. That Spirit that came and was given after Christ went to heaven, and it tells us that that is what happened. And if we believe not only believe in God, but we believe God, then we have to believe his word, and his word speaks of Christ, and and Christ gives us instruction that we are to walk in obedience to what God's word would instruct us to. If we do that, it doesn't make us a better Christian. If we fail at that, it doesn't make us a worse Christian. As long as we're turning to Christ on both accounts. But it does make us worse if we don't turn to him on either account. Because as I said, God does not deal in fair. He deals in right or wrong. It tells us that on judgment day... There will be the right hand and the left hand, the sheep and the goats. There isn't middle ground. There isn't that you're right in the middle and level so things are good or however we want to look at it. And the only difference is what have we put our faith in? Do we have our faith and our trust in what we have managed to do and how good we've been and how many of this we've done? Or is our faith in that Christ has done enough? And Christ has paid for me. And my desire is to simply share that message with others. And how God will use us to do that is as varied as people. We have different walks. We are given different abilities. And God uses us in different ways. This person can relate with that person. And somebody else can relate with someone else. We aren't to judge someone because they only will deal with this. No, that is their purpose. We have different walks. And it's because God understands that we're different people. We are individuals. And yes, it all comes to putting our faith in Christ. But how a heart is brought to that point is as different as every person is. We can all sit down and in this group we're all in some ways, very similar people. 
Some of us are even family, if I put it that way. And yet, even within siblings, even I can look here and Bridget and Melanie, they're twins, but they're very different people. Very different individuals. God knows that. And he knows each of us are those. And it's why he gives different abilities and gives people different walks. And yes, we might have trials sometimes. Or maybe we have trials and then God brings someone into faith. And he uses those things so that they can help someone else. We look at Job. How many people in his own lifetime, we don't know, it says that he had more children and he had grandchildren. And how much was he able to encourage them in their walk by what he had seen? How much are we encouraged when we read about how he dealt with what he was faced with? How much are we able to encourage someone that God may put into our life by what we've experienced because we can relate to their problem? How much do we um, get encouraged because someone can understand what we're dealing with and can encourage us that I understand God give me faith and the grace to get through that. I believe that it is all here. All those things are what it talks about when it says that we are to fall upon that stone. We are simply to trust Christ. And that's a big thing when we look at it. Because it has (coughs) huge implications in our lives. Because it means that we are to be obedient to the leading of that still small voice. And many times I find that that's directing me in areas that I don't have any interest in going. So are we going to be obedient and and trust that Christ knows what is needed and we can follow that spirit? Or are we going to listen to our reasoning and, and bark it? I'm sure if we're honest we find that we do both. And knowing my human nature, I honestly marvel at the power of God to overcome it. And that sometimes I actually am obedient. It's, if I say a minor miracle, it seems like at times. It's why we have a Savior. Because as this last part of this verse says, It's drastic if we don't fall and come to Christ. It says, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And it is speaking, I believe, of maybe a number of things, but the ultimate is the judgment day. We will, there's destruction. There is nothing that will be left if we do not have Christ 
as our foundation. And we see there the difference. One is falling on and one is the stone is falling on. It's Christ's judgment falls upon us if we do not turn to him. Because it is, I say, the greatest, we understand it is the largest blessing that man has ever been given. And that is what Christ has done for us. It is the greatest act of charity ever. God simply loved mankind enough that he accomplished our salvation. That we could take Christ's righteousness and walk in the eyes of God as righteous before him because we believe in Christ. And he corrects us and guides us and leads us and sent that spirit that it would be right with us within this natural being. It isn't because we deserved it. It isn't because we did enough good things that God allowed it to happen. It says when we were rebels and sinners, God knew what was man was going to be like, and I don't understand it, but he still sent Christ to save us. Simply because he's merciful and loving. Whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. We have and this is maybe just my way of putting it, and I believe that it's biblical. <clears throat> we have the privilege here in this time of grace. When we live in this world, if I say of coming to that judgment, because the Spirit has revealed to our heart what we are, and we can stand before God and Acknowledge, I'm a sinner. I don't add up. But, according to your word, there's one here with me who's perfect, who claims that I can have his righteousness. I can take his perfection for me. It's a privilege we have. Once we pass from this life to the next, if we haven't come to this place where what we can offer to God is what Christ has done and have to stand on our own what we've done, it's a problem. Because then we aren't judged according to what Christ has done for us, but according to us rejecting what Christ has done for us. And we can read in the Bible some of the, if I say the bad, that that results in. I don't think in this life that we can understand the perfections of heaven, but we can't understand the horrors of hell either. But those are the two options that are available. And it isn't that we have to understand them, we can simply believe in them. God says in a number of places how 
much bigger he is, how his thoughts are above our thoughts. We can't give counsel to God, but he loves us. He sent Christ to die for us, that we can take his perfection. And if we come to that place, as I said, trusting or maybe having no other option but to know that I have no hope except in what Christ has offered me. God has promised that that is acceptable. God has promised that that is what he desires. Why? Because that's what he says. Because it brings glory to him. Because it acknowledges that he has done it all for us. It recognizes that, yes, he does love me. He loves me so much that he paid for my failures. We have a loving God. Let us trust in the salvation he has provided us through Christ. Yes, we have trials in this life. But, this life is a temporary thing. And, and the older I get, the more easy it is to recognize that. When I was young, it seemed like there could be quite a while. And yes, I believe I've always had that understanding that we understand we're human. And sometimes people die when they're young. But still, life seems like it's quite a ways to the end if we live a normal life. But as we get older, we recognize, actually, it's pretty short. And it is important that we recognize that what we are striving for and what is most important in, <coughs> in our life is do we believe in Christ? Do we believe what he has told us? Is the sacrifice that he was enough for me? I pray that we all have faith that it is. We don't have to try to add something to it. We don't want to take anything away from it to make it a little more comfortable for us. Let us simply believe God and what he has said. And put our faith in what Christ has done. In Jesus' name, Amen. There's communion for those who wish to partake. Should we sing 
change. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with thee.
May the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ preserve your bodies and souls unto eternal life. Amen. Praise the Lord for his gracious gift of which you have partaken, and proclaim his suffering, his death, and his glorious resurrection until he cometh to Rise and depart in the peace of the Lord.
Thank you. 